The conversations and information provided are not intended to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not reflect the view of Humana Military or the Department of Defense. Welcome to the Operation Within podcast, where we talk about health and a deeper sense of well-being. Operation Within is a collective initiative to optimize holistic health matters and nourish within community, within self, and within family. Thank you for joining the conversation on Operation Within podcast. We are your hosts, Mel and Marty, and our conversations are real, they're raw, and reflective. These conversations offer meaningful dialogue on experiences within the military community, oriented to empower and strengthen health and vitality in our communities who serve. We want to give a special thanks to Humana Military and our partners who have brought Operation Within to life. Let's dive in. Hey, welcome back to the Operation Within podcast. It's Mel here, and I'm so excited to be here with my dear friend and somebody that I've connected with in the military community, Tanya Palacios. I am really excited to have you like dive into this conversation of motherhood in the military and your background, but if you want to share briefly just a little bit who you are. Yes. Hello, everybody. Um First, I want to say thank you for having me here. I'm so excited about this. And um, I'm going to start a little bit with uh, where I'm from in case my accent comes out. I'm originally from (laughs) Boston, uh, so you might hear a few funky words here and there. But I am a military veteran. I served five years active duty in the Army, and my husband is currently uh, serving in the Army as well. He is on his 21st year of service. So we have a lot of uh, definitely some good um, experience as a single person, a married woman, and mother in the military that I'm excited about sharing today. So I joined the military in 2000, and um, I served until 2005. And then uh, once we got married and we moved to Boston, uh, that's where we continued our military career. I was there for a little while. And then I moved to San Antonio with my family and my three kids. Um, I have four kids, ages um, 8, 13, 16, and a daughter. My fourth one is in college. Uh, So she stayed back in Boston to live and uh, go to college in Boston. But um, my experience, honestly, has been a plethora of different adventures, um, different moving around different places and different experiences. And um, I'm going to move forward and talk a little bit about that more in the podcast, really focusing on how that pertains to just different seasons in life and different the way that we grow and the way that we adapt and what, what helps to make us resilient and our children and uh, share a little bit about that moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a beautiful mm-hmm. way to think about a military, like your military career in your life. There are these different seasons and even in each place that you go there's a different version of yourself in a way right absolutely and we've talked about before in other episodes about what's kind of fun as a military spouse or just being able to move around it's like any new place you go you really get this fresh opportunity to get clear about how you want to show up or if you want to do something different and that is a beautiful aspect of it but then also the other side of like man like I really love the community I was in and leaving that community can be so hard. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so when we moved here to San Antonio, that's definitely one of the um, the things that I I want to say adventure because I came here with um, an open mind. You know, we knew the area. We have family in San Antonio and Laredo. We were really excited about the move, and I my background is in uh, psychology and counseling. So, you know, I, I got my bachelor's degree and my master's while I was in the military, and that's what I focused on once I, um, once I got out. And so I have plenty of years of experience in working with children and families, um, adults all around mental health and counseling. And when we moved here, I, was, I kind of was like, I don't know what I want to do. I, we have this new experience again now. We are in this new community, and 
Um, and, you know, it takes a while. They say it takes about two years to kind of regain that sense of community again and kind mm. of really attach to who you are and what you want to be. Um, so when we moved here, um, I decided that I wanted to become an entrepreneur. I just mm. looked at my life. I stepped back and I said, you know, I really want to take more time for myself, for my family, and really focus on what do I want to do? And then that's when I got into coaching. Um, I own my own business in Helotus. Um, it's called TLP Wellness. And I work one-on-one with people as well as in groups in regards to uh, just coaching, healthy lifestyles, really focusing on the mental and emotional aspect of wellness. Mm. And, you know, that incorporates not only the, the one-on-one coaching, but also looking at your life as a whole and how what you put into your body affects who you are, whether it's, you know, in your home, in the classroom for kids, um, you know, in your work environment, not just food, but also, you know, negative, positive, um, you know, products, chemicals. So uh, one of the other things that I do in my business is also just talking about detox and not like the typical cleansing detox that you you know, might see, um, you know, online or, you know, not that that's bad, but also focusing on like the mental and emotional. The I detox love that. And kind of cleansing yourself and just coming to terms with who you really are, your true identity, your true self. And I just felt like I had this, um, this calling because I've been through this journey and coming here and moving here. It's something that I've been through personally. And I really wanted to set that forth with my lifestyle yeah. and um, making that difference in the community in San Antonio. I really love that concept of, it's like we spend a lot of our life collecting identity, collecting experiences, collecting affiliation and belonging and community, right? We add all this stuff to ourselves and oftentimes fall into the illusion that we are what we've added to ourselves and this concept of unpeeling and unpacking and exploring even the narratives of who we think we are Mm -hmm. and the process of this detox. I think that is such a profound way to lead to transformation. And I love that concept in almost like you kind of tied it with this other element of nutrition and detox. Like what are we like in our mind and Mm -hmm. in our emotions carrying that we can let go of or release, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, because honestly, that I I wasn't um, when we lived in Boston. My I'm going to talk a little bit about my my family now. My son, when he was in the fourth grade, he had a severe concussion, and that was a year of just um, it was almost like an awakening because we didn't realize, or personally, I didn't. Cause my husband's a PA. I don't think I realized how much an effect, even some simple things as going back towards he didn't know how to even do simple math. It was a good year of recovering from that. So throughout that process, that's when I started doing yoga for myself um, and mindfulness for my son. I actually hired a coach one-on-one to come into our home and teach my son as well as our family, you know, how do we get through this without – the stress and anxiety put on him and not all us also projecting our concerns onto him as a young going into the fifth grade as a young kid. Um, so I saw how much of a difference that made and all of us collectively really just taking those little steps to focus on being aware and being present and not thinking about, Oh my gosh, how am I going to get to the end of the year? Just, okay, let's focus on today. One moment at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, not only that, but just, you know, the anxiety of the situation. And, um, you know, he also has ADHD and anxiety. So I, I really attribute that moment in our life of learning how to practice being mindful about what he was going through to the first step in getting to where I am today, basically. Isn't that, I think that a lot of people can relate to, it's like these tragedies or these like really intense experiences usually lead to the breakthrough, right? Of Mm -hmm. like deeper awareness of self and ways to 
you know, self-regulate and heal. And I think as a parent, you know, were you, what year was, was that, if you don't mind me asking? No, I don't mind at all. That was actually in uh, 2000, about 2013. And you guys were in Boston, you said? Yes, yes, we were in Boston. And when did you move to San Antonio? In uh, 2018. Okay, yeah. And wow, that must have been, you guys had family nearby? We do. We do have uh, family in Laredo and San Antonio. So we were very lucky to... <clears throat> We were very lucky to move somewhere where we already had, you know, a bit of a support system because that makes a big difference. It does. And when you guys were in Boston, did you guys have anybody nearby or how, how was support? How did you guys seek support when you were navigating that? Uh, So luckily when we were in Boston, I actually had my family there as well. Um, And that was one of the reasons why, you know, we went to Boston, um, in starting to, you know, build a family and have that support. Because that is huge for us. It is um, big, It is yeah. a big factor in, you know, where we go, where we live, who we lean on. Um, because that having that family there, especially when the children were young, and my husband being in the military and, you know, working full-time and going through his PA program – that was such an asset to have that family nearby. But then through that, I really do, I really do believe in, you know, your friends are, your, your friends are the family that you choose because we also built a huge network of friends over there. And at any given time we would have, you know, this person or that person be able to just reach out to. Um, So moving here to San Antonio, like I said before, luckily we had a family, but that was one piece that was really missing um moving here that I you know I feel that when you're when you're in the military and you're going to a different you know duty station um there's always that sense there's usually that sense of community where no matter who you are or where you come from you're kind of just accepted yeah you know you you band together you help each other out and so moving here and not living on base that was that was a change. And then COVID happened, um, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and so with all of that, um, there was also this readjustment, I think, in realignment in myself. And that's why I decided to move forward with that because I said, you know, I this is not where I want to be. This is not who I want to be. I, I, know, I know that I am more than this. I know that I can do more for the community. And then also, like, that's how you get to meet people. Absolutely. And the social aspect of community and putting yourself out there and being available and present and attending is just, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of that right word. It's just... It's so, I mean, as humans, we need belonging, you know, we need, and I I really believe for military spouses, and I can speak from my own experience, I know that my family would love to be part of my daughter's life and be able to help. And if we were close and we got a little taste of it when uh, my husband had orders in Florida, Mm -hmm. which was during, um, it was right before the pandemic started. And then when it, like we started building community in Florida, even though I was coming back and forth between San Antonio and I would definitely admit that I'm, I was the epitome of the military spouse who was like, I'm not moving and we're going to figure out a way. And it was not easy. Um, I think I said, I've said recently to somebody like between, between the choice, cause when that geographical separation option showed up, when we were getting orders for San Antonio or sorry to Florida and leaving San Antonio after I had built my yoga studios, I have a thriving business. I have partnerships with organizations. I didn't want to let go of that. So I chose going back and forth and then the weight of staying and then doing the back and forth thing versus closing down everything and the, the loss of closing down all my businesses and all the things, ironically, which the pandemic, it ended up really unfolding that way, <laughs> ironically. Um, but it was both as painful. You know, it's not like, I think as military spouses were put in these, like, you know, when you're in the military from, and this is just my viewpoint as the spouse watching my husband cope and navigate, it's like, we're working towards a goal. This is, you know, supporting our family. There's a lot of, um, I think a little bit more of 
firsthand piece about like the choices, right? And it's like as a spouse, you're interpreting and trusting your spouse. And it's like, okay, yes, this is part of how we're going to support our family. And, you know, you're happy, you love your job and okay, I can adapt and figure this out. But then when you're in it, navigating, because at the end of the day, oftentimes it's the one, the spouse or the, you know, the the non-military member, oftentimes in single households, I'm sure, like navigating childcare is a whole, it is mm-hmm. a whole drama. But when we were in Florida temporarily, and then when the pandemic hit, I stayed in Florida, we did have family nearby. And that was like, I'm so grateful for that opportunity to know what that was like, to be able to have the weekends and my parents watching my daughter and my husband and I um, spending time, just him and I, like that was so amazing. And when I look at like my, my sister-in-laws and like, you know, other people in, um, I guess in the civilian world where it's like, yeah, like, you know, everybody, the families are all together and doing these things together or they help each other out so quickly. You know, you do feel that loss. You feel Mm -hmm. this like, okay, there is something missing. And, you know, you build this community with friends and family. And honestly, I'm so grateful for the friends that have become family you know, we had at a time church family that really was able to help support us. And those things were so imperative for, you know, to know that my kid is safe or in a good place, or we have friends that they can, you know, outside of school that we get to have this social time with. It makes such a difference on mental health. But like you said, that courage of how do you create that? Like, and that's one of the most common questions I get is how do you build that? And the reality is relationships aren't built instantly. I mean, you might connect with someone and be like, I vibe with you, but it's built on trust. It's built, the relationship is built when I'm in a situation and then you show up and support me. It's like, boom, trust. Like it, the trust of, or if I'm going through something and you actually went out of your way to connect with me and make sure I was okay that's when the relationships build is through support and trust. It's not just this, hey, we took pictures together and it mm-hmm. was fun or we were at this event and we didn't talk. It's the support and it takes time. Like those things don't just happen overnight. And so if you're moving every three years, like you said, it usually takes about a year and a half, two years to acclimate and then, you know, moving, like preparing for another move and starting over. And I have heard military spouses share that sometimes you withdraw because you know you're going to leave and you don't want to get too attached. But the shadow of that, I would say, is that we miss out on the support that's imperative that allows us to have space even just for ourselves or to go have fun and be with people or to create even for myself with my work, right? Sometimes I I need to go, I, I have work to do. And if my husband's not able to, having really solid support makes such a difference, but it does take time. And I can't say that like every childcare situation has been great. Like we've learned, you know, and there's been red flags or situations that uh, people not being reliable. And I, w- one of the gems I want to share is that when I started believing in people's grace, that people will have grace for me. People will understand. People will be compassionate. I saw that when I was in a space where I felt like people needed me to be perfect and people needed me to perform. That's Mm -hmm. what I got is people being hard on me. So it's what part of this is a mindset of what we put out there to see what support we get. Right. If I, when I see people having grace, it's like, Hey guys, I'm running late because I I had a situation with childcare or I can't do this because I have my daughter. Right. Just the grace and the love or that, Hey, no, bring her with you. Like we love. (laughs) Yes. And so that opened this door. So asking and believing in that as well has made a difference. I love that gem. I think that that is so true. And not only that, but I think it it really translates well into, you know, how our children can feel as well. Yes. And it holds so true to their, their, our relationships with them because, you know, we may project that feeling onto them as well. And, you know, they, we all go through this period of, you know, sometimes self-doubt or allowing others to be able to understand that it's okay and also showing our children that you know just because you don't have a friend yet and we've been here for six months doesn't mean that nobody likes you Mm -hmm. Um, and they internalize it and it really starts to weigh down on them and so just teaching them that make these connections you know be social put yourself out there and also be okay with 
you know, making a mistake or, you know, I, I saw something, I read something a couple of weeks ago that I absolutely loved because, you know, if you know me, you know, I'm notorious for running late. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, I would say it runs in the family. I've gotten a lot better over the years, but um, something as simple as, you know, instead of saying, I'm sorry for being late, like, thank you for waiting for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I just put this whole new perspective of, wow, that's so simple. Why didn't I think of that before? And just allowing your kids to understand that, you know, everybody is human. We all go through these transitions. Be graceful. Like, allow them to feel that compassion and that connection with others and that it takes time. Well, and we model this to them. Yes. You know, kids co-regulate with us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this I, this is heavy because as a parent, I've seen it in a positive way and I've seen it in a negative way. Like, True. for sure. Like, being totally open. I am not perfect. Mm -hmm. And my daughter is the first mirror for me to see where I'm missing beats and, you know, the parts of myself that it's easy to bypass. But then it's like, oh, wait, what is this about? And the more I witness, like, how she mirrors me, and how she co-regulates with me. So the, my coping skills have such an impact on her. So what's funny is you guys know I'm a yoga teacher, mm -hmm. yoga therapy, <laughs> and like mindfulness and all this. Um, I do talk a lot about breath at home. And when she's upset, she will do a five-count breath. Or she will use breath. Or as kind of um, kids love tangible things. So I have crystals all over my my home. I think like I love them because they don't die like plants die. <laughs> I can't keep plants alive. So crystals I can keep alive. <laughs> yeah. And they they do so many beautiful things for the environment and are just such lovely um I just feel so good in the home. But she will use those like if she gets stressed or she gets scared holding on to this this like heavy grounded stone, you know, that's the earth element and but, like, that's something that she's seen me do with crystals. Like, I will have crystals for different things or just hold them. And, you know, I think that the mind gives things more power. But crystals do resonate at soft vibrations that help our own resonance in our body for our health. And so watching her where she'll use these things as tools for regulation just on her own, not because I sat down and taught her, but because I do it, mm -hmm. right? And Or, you know, if I when I used to... And it happens every now and again, but if I get upset or I like, you know, uh, get angry and react, I will watch my kid do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I take time or like, you know, I, I like to go into the sauna, it's a place for me to regulate or the shower. Like she does that kind of stuff too, where she wants to go into the shower. Mommy's in the sauna. She wants to sit in the sauna with me and relax. And so her seeing this, like this co-regulation aspect is so big and it's such, it, it's like a downfall, but it's also how we can heal as a family as well from different experiences is how like it's easy to put yourself on the back burner as mom, right? Mm -hmm. Or as the main caregiver in the family. But you the way that you care for yourself and seek support with friends or try, like it's hard for kids to look at their parents telling them, hey, go be brave and join this club so you can build friends when the parent doesn't leave the house. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just an honest truth, right? So I love that you're pointing this out because it's it's recognizing when we talk about mindful coping for kids, the first step is looking at how we co-regulate. How are our kids mirroring our regulation and how are we attending our self-regulation? Mm -hmm. Well, and also, you know, talking about co-regulation, but also looking at, you know, mommy guilt. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> well, I know, right? <laughs> I mean, I'll just bring it up really quickly, but I, you know, I used to, I used to suffer from that when the kids were younger. I mean, that mommy guilt can be can be intense. And we put these restrictions on ourselves that we have to do this and we have to do that. And like you said, we have to be perfect. Um, but also just stepping back and seeing where that stems from. And it's it really comes from our own self-doubt and our own, you know, not believing in ourselves and that what we need for us for self-care is just as important as what our children need, our children need. And that's just another example of, you know, co-regulating or modeling to them like, you know, it's not the time right now. Mommy just needs five minutes and stepping back or daddy, you know, whatever, whatever the situation is. Um, and understanding that it's okay to feel that way, but it's also okay to take that, to take that step back and show them that how do you decompress or how do you get work done or how you can fit it into 
you know, when it comes down to it, just making it, making it work. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be perfectly aligned and adjusted. Um, you know, you say that the, the story about the crystals, my daughter has that, we have this stone that my daughter rubs and, uh, she's eight years old and I've taught her kind of the same type of techniques, you know, the breathing. And for some reason last night, something triggered her that the breathing wasn't working. And, you know, I was, I was in my room and I was get, trying to get some work done, doing some email stuff, just really in a focused mode. And I see her just starting to just decompress and like, um, start to fall apart. Um, so I, I just took her aside and gave her that stone and started working with her with that and just reminding her gentle reminders. And she really had a difficult time. So I just, we just kind of laid down and I started, you know, rubbing her face and I just started talking to her, like just telling her a story about, okay, where's your favorite place? Tell me where it is. And it's just telling her a story about how she could get to that favorite place, flying on a plane, like describing all the little details and I think I I have to say as I was doing it I attribute that a lot to just learning a little bit more about meditation and yoga and how to use the words to really invite others to feel comfortable and it was just it was such a beautiful moment because I put my not only guilt aside of not being there, but also guilt aside of, man, I really need to get this done right now. I can't, can't do this right now. It's okay. Let's push it all away and let's focus on this. And I was just like, wow. Can you imagine if I had missed out on that? It was so special. And the present, it's like quality of life. Where does it come from? It's Mm -hmm. present moment and trusting, like when we, when we're always trying to get things done in the future or we're lost in like the guilt of the past, we miss out on these sacred moments that really build our life. And so I think that this is so beautiful. Excuse me. Sorry. You're good. (laughs) Yeah, it's so beautiful. Choked up. (laughs) I know that was like, it's so, it's so powerful. And I think when we make time to like kids love stories Mm -hmm. and they will like guided storytelling and there's apps like the calm app they have like relaxing storytelling kind of stuff for kids that you can turn on and snuggle with your child and let them listen to or you know and however that works like whatever you use it for but kids really love stories and taking time to see them and part of this is going back to co-regulation when you see your kid in their pain and a lot of times as parents, we want to, and I, I'm guilty of this too. So as I say this, like this is non-judgment. This is part of our process of healing is it's easy to be like, it's not that big of a deal. Just stop. Or like, okay, you need to go do something different. Just stop. Right. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing and we're showing, demonstrating is we're teaching them how to bypass their emotions. And it's an aspect of us projecting our own discomfort that we don't want to sit with them in their pain. Because it's so uncomfortable to sit with someone in their pain. What I practiced with, especially your own kid, what I practiced, because my daughter will get so sideways about like the lit, like kids, you know, but you got to remember kids, this is their world. Like yeah. losing that stuffed animal is their world. The, you know, they, we only experience like our pain as a human is based on a barometer of experiences we've had. And so for kids, it's like, and the little things can make them fly off the handle, but it's easy to be like, it's not a big deal, but for them it is. And so if you can practice removing the story and just being with the emotion with them, and then I am a huge um, advocate of letting them talk. Because when they can articulate their feelings, even if it makes you uncomfortable, like my daughter has said things to me that it like, as far as like, you know, me not being present with something and she doesn't say it like that, but Mm -hmm. essentially expressing I I wasn't present with someone or I'm not being very nice or like that makes me uncomfortable because I am being nice or I thought I was being present or it just, it makes me feel, it makes me feel bad. So it's easier to say like, you're fine go figure it out or here's the iPad or let me distract you from it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, but the reality is, is it's a hundred percent my own discomfort with being in her pain Mm -hmm. and supporting her. So we work out of that energy versus teaching her how to disassociate, which we're very good at in our society is how do we look the other way? How do we avoid? And this is why we're so avoidant. Mm -hmm. 
And we don't know how, we don't even know our own truth because we can't even look at what we're not. Like we can't look at, we don't even can't discern what is me and what isn't me. And part of this is this conditioning of like, I just got to distract myself from discomfort. And part of mindful coping, especially for kids, is how they can articulate their discomfort. I want to tell a story. This is kind of uh, a crazy story. (laughs) So my daughter came home from school. She's five and she's very upset. Uh, She witnessed a little boy kill a a frog at, and during like recess or whatever. And she was very upset about it. She was very disturbed and she was, you know, and you know, we were talking and I kept asking her details and it was getting more and more gruesome, but I felt like it was very important for her to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I asked her what would make her feel better, what would help her. Maybe there's something we can do to honor this frog's life. And when we got home, mm-hmm. she wanted to draw a picture of this frog. So she drew a picture of the frog alive. And on the other side, she drew a picture of it dead. Mm-hmm. And and she asked me, can you write dead? And like, I mean, it was like, it was funny because when my husband came home, I was like, look at this. But for her, it just, it. I mean, then she moved on and we don't, like, it hasn't come up. And she just felt so good about it. She hung it on her wall for a little bit. And that was her expression of processing that. And so giving kids the space or even talking about death, talking about these uncomfortable things. You know, um, I love... Um, I, one of the reasons I love Moana and I think Disney movies are using movies that kids like or shows that kids like pay attention, by the way, pay attention to what your kids are watching. It's really, mm-hmm. um, some things on even kids, YouTube. I'm like, okay, next, like pay, like I just encourage. Um, but the one thing that I'll use is like examples from movies when we're talking about hard stuff. So I love Moana because I feel it offers a really safe container for parents to talk about loss and grief and death and bravery. And I mean, you can pull this out of different movies, but you know, with navigating, we, uh, our cat died, right. And that process of, okay. Or then, um, you know, as loved ones have died over the years, like that's been something that we will use. And that might be something that's helpful because conversations, I think it's just, it's hard to have honest conversations. I, I know, and you know, parents only know what do the best they can, but I mean, maybe this might've been your experience in childhood. I know with mine, it was like, you know, like, let's not talk about, or it was like, let's wait till you're older or like just a soft, you know, and that's, I think that's a cultural thing and a generational thing of not really like, let's keep you as pure as long as possible. But military kids are honestly exposed to a lot because of the moving and faced with a lot of like um, inconsistency, right? Yes, we've always been very open about talking about everything because you're right, and I grew up that way as well. And like you said, not necessarily that it was a bad thing. That was just the way that it was. And um, it also took a little bit of, I have to say, my husband has been amazing in that aspect because he is very open and articulate in talking, especially as a PA. So the combination of the two of us together, we've really found this, like, You know, our children can talk to us about anything. They can bring up anything. They can talk about anything. There's really no boundaries. And that means a lot to me. And at first it was really hard to navigate because I was not used to that as a child. Um, You know, when you talk about Disney movies and, you know, how we can relate that to our lives. And we've recently, I don't know if you've seen Vivo. It's one of the newer ones. Oh, no, but I know what you're talking about. Um, And it's about this little girl who basically, well, the main part that we take away from it, it's about this little girl who bounces to the beat of her own drum. And that's one of the songs. And, you know, I always related that to Melina. We fell in love with the movie with my daughter. And because it's, you know, she has this, she has this um, concept that, and this idea that it's really hard for her to show her emotion and she gets really embarrassed Mm. and you know if she gets to this point of where you know she's breaking down you know as you know as all children do you know I kind of remind her just you know just step aside and it's okay to come out of the situation and step out of the situation and feel what you're feeling you don't have to hold it in and like get really upset and blow up and you know no matter where you are and if you're somewhere that you don't feel comfortable just ask the person is it okay I just need to take a minute. And so 
I think that translate a lot into understanding that you don't need a certification or you don't need this all of this knowledge to teach your children or your family how to be mindful about themselves and others. Because I think we get hung up on this, um, oh, I'm not certified in this, I don't know about this, so I can't do it. But all it takes is these tiny little, tiny little steps. And the children react to it in such a positive way, and then it spreads through the family, and it's just, it's beautiful to see. And, you know, it also, it's also very applicable in, in the classroom. I mean, they not only take that from home, but then they're also to translate that into the classroom. And then, you know, you talk to teachers sometimes that they say, you know, you know, teachers don't know, I'm just saying in general, if they have trouble with a student in a classroom or there's something going on or they say that it's like a behavioral issue or, you know, they might need to be tested for something. Take a few minutes and try some of these techniques. You know, how awesome would it be if we had the time to, and I know it's not, it's, it can be very difficult in certain situations, but how awesome would it be if we could take the time to just step aside and teach a child how to breathe through that? Yeah, absolutely. While they're in school and see that change and be like, oh, okay, then it doesn't lead to this reaction and, you know, going like this rolling ball of just going and going and going and going. Well, and I think too is like as kids learn to, like a lot of it is body first and then it affects the mind. So if you get anxious or if there's a, um, cause I mean, a lot of ki- kids are very present mm-hmm. and they're very sensitive. And I think that this is like something that we kind of, as a culture, we just kind of out, out, we outgrow. And I'm not saying it's a natural thing. Like the way our society is, we kind of thicken our sense, like our I guess the veil of sensitivity, right? Where it's easier just to, and I say, I think a lot of it's bypassing and avoiding Mm -hmm. um, our true feelings. And I mean, there's new stuff coming out in the psychology world about fawning, which is where we, we abandon ourselves to make everybody else comfortable. Mm -hmm. And this is something that oftentimes like the suppressant of just don't like, let's just put a name or a diagnosis on this and, you know, let, or let's, and I'm just being honest, like, let's just do something to make it stop mm-hmm. versus actually looking at the root. And it could be, you know, I think as parents, it's like, if there's something wrong with your, and I say, quote unquote, wrong, right? If someone brings something and it's like, all of a sudden you feel like they're saying something's wrong with your kid, then you internalize it. And then you think it's your fault when maybe it's actually not this dramatic. It's just, um, it's part of like learning this, the, how your kid, um, their nature is like, mm-hmm. My daughter's very, very empathetic and very, very sensitive. If I get loud, she will shut down and she cries. Even even if my husband's playing Call of Duty and like getting loud, she does not like loud noises. Mm-hmm. And so she gets very, um, like she ha- she loses her emotional regularity. Like she just loses it and wants to hide. She actually has, like she has her safe spot, which, you know, she goes, there's a, in her room, she goes under her bed and she has this like cozy space and that's where she goes. But, you know, she goes there when she's upset. And part of this is having, like, learning how to work with her and being more mindful because I come from a pretty loud family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, learning that I can't, like, when I'm upset, raising my voice will, I mean, it doesn't work in a lot of situations. But especially, like, if she's not listening or she will, if she wants something, she'll climb the cat, like, she'll climb the pantry. She'll, and if I get loud or I react, not like she runs off and she goes and hides and cries and it's literally over and like I'm like why does it have to turn into this big thing but knowing my daughter's nature and her tendencies and as parents like um especially because it's we talked about this before it's easy to say oh kids are just resilient and I've had people tell me oh kids are resilient kids are resilient because they adapt to their their environment Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't have an impact on their body and their nervous system. And it's not, it's also not about just making them comfortable all the time because that's not life. Life is not comfortable. But it's the ability for them to communicate and be with it and learn to respond to it or to advocate for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Which with my daughter, it's always important. Like I want her to ask for what she needs, you know, and, um, Cause you know, I have, when you talked about mom guilt, you know, the geographical separation and seeing the byproduct and 
being close to several spouses who have witnessed, um, you know, or parenting while the partner's on deployment. And, you know, you, you do step into like this very protective father mother role, you know, or single, I think about single parent homes. It's like, you're holding both roles and there's a lot of energy of just getting through of what you need to do. And then when the partner comes back or things change, it kids go through, yes, they're resilient, but there is a process of change and just a mind like mindfulness really allows us to see it with compassion and see ourselves with that compassion. Mm -hmm. I agree with you because, um, you know, even if it's not, especially in the military world, even if it's not a long deployment, even if, you know, the significant other is only gone for, you know, two or three months on a shorter mission or a deployment, um, even that short time period really takes a little bit of adjustment coming back and refiguring out like and you know for me there's always been that um that essence of just I guess the control I guess if you want to if, if I really need to put a word to it because it's like well you've been gone and I've been doing it this way you know who are you to come back in and tell me to like let's start doing it this way again um and so I feel hard. like that is so prevalent in in families, especially, you know, military families, because they go through these changes. And with the longer deployments, I can imagine how it's even more stressful, just reintegrating. And not only that for the children to now say, okay, well, everything was on, you know, mommy, and she told me how to do this and what to do. And now I have to, wait a minute, now I have to listen to two different people. And not that it's um, different from before, but mentally, it's hard to kind of rewire your your brain and to really be mindful, I guess, about okay, well, wow, like we're back to we're back to a cohesive unit again. We're back to being a family. Well, so and it takes mean? it takes time, and this is something that has been needed for over a decade. Is this co- the homecoming process and the reintegration back post deployment? And you know, oftentimes our personnel don't get much time off after a deployment. They just go straight back to work, or they might get a four day weekend. But you know, it just continues. And you know, on the other side of it, I've seen um, personnel feel like they're not re- like loved or seen in their family. Like they're not. It, it they feel so. They come home and it's like this, you know, their partner has all these things together and it's like the kids aren't as loving or like snuggly. Like it's like they have all this expectation and it's not happening. And then that creates more mental health challenges and uh, distance between the partners. And, you know, whether I know um, I've seen people, you know, like immediately jump into therapy together and do whatever they can to you know, work it, but then it's easy just to assume like, we're just going to flow right back in. And that's even my husband doing a geographical separation, you know, we still like, we came back together in March and it was like, I went and visited and I was there for three months with him during the pandemic, that like time period. But even just still like, cause that was like a year and a half, two, or that was two years, over two years actually mm-hmm. of us doing that. But when he came back in March, April, June officially it was I mean it's been a process and you know we're getting better but the importance of open communication about this stuff and you know curious of what units can do and what leadership and policy could do to ensure that families are taken care of through the process and it's not just like FRG like figure it out right Mm -hmm. but it really is that there are ways to build morale within the family in the unit as well with one another to, you know, make sure that people are regulating and processing their experiences, but also for families, because there's a lot of, um, a lot of challenges that come with this, but, and there is statistics that show that military kids are, it's 40 to 60% more likely to have anxiety disorders than civilian children. And this comes from, I believe a, a VA study that was done and you can find that online in 2014. And when you think about, Again, it's like this is our lifestyle, this is our culture, we've normalized it. But and I think that that's good in the sense of like the shame and mom guilt stuff. It's like, yeah, I mean, this is the stuff or behavioral stuff or seeing, you know, kids navigate different things. It's normal in our community. However, the need to make sure that we're also looking at ways that we can support and, you know, mindfulness. I love how Tanya was talking about there's just little things that you can begin with. And your story of your son having the concussion. 
and how that really was what brought this into your life. And um, I don't know if you want to share a little bit more about that experience with the mindfulness and maybe any gems or tips that you might have for people who want to start bringing more mindful coping skills into their families. Mm -hmm. Yes, actually, um, when we were going through that period in our life, you know, I, it's funny that we are, you know, that I, I talk about it in this way, because earlier I said, you know, you don't need all of these skills, you don't need the certification to be able to practice this. But when I was going through that, personally, you know, even with all of my knowledge, with my background, you know, I've, I've been a counselor for years. I even felt that, like, like, what do I do to help my son? You know, I need to bring somebody in to try something different because I'm not sure what to do. It was a struggle. And just looking at, you know, outside of the box instead of, you know, not medication or this and that, but so, like I said, I had hired a coach to come to the house because because of everything that was going on, my son had a really difficult time with trusting people and trusting environments and being able to go, you know, somewhere for a meeting with a counselor or somebody, you know, professional. So we brought her to the house and um, we would, you know, give them some space. And not only did she work with him one-on-one, but she also sat down with us and said, this is what we're doing with him, and this is how you can apply it to the family. And honestly, when it comes down to it, at that age, a lot of it had to do with breathing, breathing techniques and body scanning. Like Those were the two main um, techniques that we really focused on in regards to mindfulness. And for a child at that age, that can be really hard to do if you're not used to it. Like I think back to when I started yoga or when I started, you know, meditation. And, you know, I was one of those people that like, there's no way I can sit through a yoga class. No way. I can't do that. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Until I got to this point where I said, okay, I'm going to try this because it just feels like I need to right now. Um, So for even a child to, you know, be able to, and not necessarily sit and meditate, because meditation doesn't always mean that you have to sit there in peace and quiet for 20 minutes, you know? For sure. I know you know this. Yeah, for sure. But being mindful about what your body feels like and just laying down and starting from your head all the way down to your toes, that was a big um, exercise that really helped a lot. And I use that even now with my daughter, even with the, you know, like I was talking about the guided meditation that I did with her last night, and it works for adults as well, and you can do it yourself. Um, That would probably be my gem, because no matter how much you can try to do anything else, just being, being present and just thinking about energy moving through your body from your head down to your toes and taking each body part and saying it out loud and saying how it feels, um, so easy to do it. Yeah. And this is a way for the brain to repair its connection with the body. I mean, this is a process of vagal tone, Mm -hmm. strengthening that vagal tone in your vagus nerve, in your nervous system. And this is a big piece that people who have low vagal tone tend to have depression, anxiety, chronic pain. And so practices like body scanning and something that a really simple way that I've seen to start this kind of stuff is when your kid's upset, Mm -hmm. ask them where they feel it in their body. Um, It's like, I feel it in my head or I feel it in my heart or I feel it in my stomach or my belly. Mm -hmm. And then asking, what does it feel like? And they might say sad because I'm sad, right? But it's getting them in the habit. There's no right answer to this kind of stuff. It's just getting in the habit to go, oh, wow, actually my stomach hurts when I'm talking about this or, you know, my, my head hurts. And getting your children to start to communicate body sensations that or I feel one great thing is like, well, I love um, the emojis. Kids love emojis. Yeah. So the emoji chart and ha- asking your kid, like, how do you feel right now? Circle the emoji that you feel. And then circle, put a heart around the emoji you want to feel. Like, how do you want to feel versus how you feel? And then maybe doing something with them and then afterwards ask, like, okay, so how do you feel now? Do you, like, do you feel like this emo- or this after emoji or maybe there's another emoji? But getting them to connect and articulate their emotions is so big of how they feel. And oftentimes we set, spend so much time being intellectual and in the head and, like, you know, analyzing with the mind, but what happens when we sense with the body? And for kids, this is really big because if I can, if I notice that my he- my heart hurts, 
then what can I do to make my heart feel better versus fixing this big problem? Like the frog died and you like, I, as a parent, I can't like bring the frog back to yeah. life. Right. But mm-hmm. it's, well, how do you feel it? Where do you feel it? What, and I've even done things where I ask my daughter, does it feel like a color? Like I get, and this is like, this I is just that. fun conversations. Mm-hmm. And um, and she'll actually, she's done that with me. She's like, is it a color? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we're big on colors and using colors that make you feel good and that it's okay that your favorite color changes because sometimes your feelings change. And um, with body scans too is often a question that I hear from people with starting. And maybe you can piggyback on this is the question of like, okay, so I just, okay, thumb, pointer finger, middle finger. What am I supposed to be doing with it? And the answer is, is just noticing, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to do anything with it or change it. It's just getting your brain to connect and notice it. Yes, I agree with you. And it's, it's actually like, you know, the whole, it goes back to the whole mind, mind body concept because, you know, for so long we focus so much on what is our mind telling us? What is our brain telling us? What is it, what does it sound like in there? And not really making that connection with, you know, like you talk about with our nervous system and whether it be, you know, I feel excited and I'm shaking or I feel anxious and my tummy hurts. Um, So I think it's very important for them to also realize, you know, doing a body scan when you're not in a situation where you're stressed or you're just kind of, you know, hanging out in chill mode or happy or on the couch and also understanding how it feels when you're in that positive energy as well and not just the negative energy when yeah. you're, you know, when you need to, you know, decompress. Well, um, and it's showing them that you can consciously control this. Yeah. Like I can't control what's happening in the world or what someone else does, but I can consciously choose and control how I want to experience it. And for kids, we don't have to get like that philosophy might feel so overwhelming, but just in the now moment that like I'll act like my daughter, if she throws a fit and then, you know, we process it and it's not going anywhere. It's so, like, she's staying in it. I will tell her, Hey, like this is a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, these are some options that can maybe make you feel bad or feel better. But if you want to stay feeling bad, you can say like, you, like I let her, like so there's been times where it, the yoga, the mind, like it didn't work. Yes. And then she just stays in it. And, but I always remind her, that it is a deliberate choice. And the reason I do this is not to dampen the seriousness of like different mental health stuff or like how people feel, but it's to show her that like you are always, I want her to always feel self-agency. Mm-hmm. And I want her to always be able to feel self-sovereign that she can choose. And that even though things might feel really bad, it is possible to find hope or like in situations, even in my own life that have extremely, let's go back to a great Disney movie, mm-hmm. extremely tragic, horrific, sad experiences. And I think for people who've experienced trauma, a lot of people can probably relate to this. Like, what do you do? You can't control, you can't fix, you can't go back in time. But the, in Frozen 2, when Elsa dies, right? And there she goes too deep and she's gone, right? And lost and Anna's, uh, you know, Anna's in the cave and is crying. And, you know, she says, what's the, like, she starts singing that song and it's, she says, it's the next right thing. And I love it. I get chills. I could cry. (laughs) I mean, I do cry when that, that part comes up. And sometimes talking about it because when things are really hard, I like, you know, my daughter's five right now and, you know, I will be there to catch her in any way, every way I can. But as she gets older, there's an, I can't save her from everything. I can't protect her from everything. And, you know, we are milita- in the military. Like, my husband is eligible, just like your husband's eligible for deployments and things. And also, like, we live in a life where death is inevitable, right? Like, there's a lot of things I can't control as she gets older. However, my hope is that as she grows up that she can always know that even in the darkest, darkest cave that there will always, she can even still like, instead of figuring things out, what is just in this moment, the next right thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and also understanding that, you know, it's okay to have that deep, dark day sometimes, or, you know, those hours or even, you know, as an adult, I really have to like sit and think about, you know what? it's okay that I didn't get what I needed to get done today. It's okay that I just needed to curl up on the couch and read my book or catch up on my shows because there will still be tomorrow. 
and letting them, helping them to understand that it's okay for them too. Like they're just human like us and, you know, it's okay to have a bad day. Um, but like you said, teaching them the skills on how to get through that and push through that and feel that and understand why they're feeling it. And then, okay, now how do I move out of it? Yeah. And what do I need to do? But also they might not know that they need to, it's, it's a lifelong process of learning yourself. Yeah. And then as soon as you learn it, it might change again. Um, you know, depending on whether, like I said before, whether you're single or you're married or you have a family or you have four kids or, you know, you move on to um, a different state or a different country, whatever the situation is. It's really becoming not adaptive to your environment, but really knowing yourself and adapting yourself to yeah, and like situation. honoring what you need and what you don't yes. need. This is why when I say self, and I've probably said it before, self-care mm -hmm. is not what you do. It's who you are. Yeah. And when you practice the embodiment of these things, and like we said in the beginning of this conversation with co-regulation, is like as adults, as we navigate things, being honest as is appropriate, like at your parent, you discern what's appropriate to how transparent about things. But nonetheless, you know, like for example, it like, I know every household. I'm sorry if you're in a marriage and you say you don't argue with your partner. Mm -hmm. I don't believe you. Mm -hmm. um, when me and my husband get in arguments and, you know, we, you know, and Isla, if Isla's sitting there or sees anything, like, we talk about it with her. Yes. And I'll say, like, mommy's upset with daddy, but it's going to be okay. You know, mm -hmm. or, like, she watches. We make sure she sees us make up. And, you know, it, like, she sees us have that, like, the end of the conversation. Or because if she saw or that, we'll talk with her about it. And it's uncomfortable. But part of this is that co-regulation that she sees, hey, like, I can be in relationships with people and get mad at them. Or she'll, like, she'll be really mad at me, but it's okay because you still, like, I love you. I can still, and I can solve this because, versus, like, oh, wait, there's a fight. This means I need to run away. Mm -hmm. No. Like, yeah. you can, there's always closure. And maybe we don't get closure in this now moment, but it's going to, like, sometimes time heals things, right? So, so we're getting close to the end of this episode, and I wanted to ask you if there is anything that you want, if you'd like, for other military spouses to know with mindful coping for kids and just, like, any, any advice, like, that you would want to give, if, like, maybe when years ago when you first became a military spouse or things that you've learned that you would want to share? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the most important thing that I would like to share today is that, you know, anybody can do this. It really is important to keep in mind that, you know, like I've said over and over again, you don't need a certification or you don't need this certain amount of knowledge. All it takes is really knowing yourself, getting to know your family, what works and what doesn't, and kind of following through with that. And, you know, something as simple as one, one thing that I would love to share, actually, that I believe has been a gem in our family is having a, um, a gratitude journal. We have this journal like right near the front of our house and it just kind of sits there. We don't write it, you know, on a daily basis, but whenever we have the inclination to or want to write something or feel something, we, you know, open the book and write something down. And it's really neat to go back and read it once in a while and catch up on it and be like, oh, wow, like that person was feeling like this that day and I didn't even realize it, especially for my kids. And I think it really gives me hope to know that, like, they were able to kind of figure this out on their own and work through it and write it down, kind of like journaling, and then be able to be at peace with themselves mm. and not necessarily have to, you know, jump to me or jump to their father for every little answer or for every little question or for every little issue or drama going on. Um and it takes practice, but that's what mindfulness and teaching them these techniques, that's what it can get to. That could be like the end point and the gem to where you know that they can take care of themselves. They have that capability, whether they're five years old or 16 years old or 28 years old. Yeah, for There's sure. There's all these little steps along the way, and seeing that is just um, amazing. It unfolds. I love that so much. Gra I mean, because gratitude is like the path to abundance in so many ways. And there's so much research around how that can regulate and be able to um, talk about 
like see yourself where you're at and then also being able to reframe is such a skill and a tool. So I love it. And there's so many really great mindfulness books and things at Barnes and Nobles on Amazon. And like Tanya said, you know, this stuff is readily accessible. If you're not sure where to start, you can always like Google a few things and just like get little ideas or maybe just starting with having a conversation with your kid. And one thing to remember is to make mindfulness really simple. All mindfulness is, is self-awareness. It's paying attention on purpose, mm-hmm. present and without judgment. Yeah, that's or so in, important for with, me to always yeah, like with without judgment or without reactivity. Yes. I mean, it's it's just attending the present moment, mm-hmm. and the present moment is if you're not sure, like, well, what does it mean to be present? It's a mindfulness to what's meaningful right now. So this was so beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience, your background. And if people were to want to get in touch with you or work with you or connect with you, how could they reach you? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have a website. It's tlpwellness.com. Um, you can look me up over there. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. My uh, business page is also as tlpwellness. Um, and I have my email information, all my contact information on there as well. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for listening to today's episode on Operation Within. Uh, Please be sure to subscribe, share, and if this podcast made you think of anybody, definitely send it over to them as it helps us be able to serve and support you. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.